When the day came for each of us, where we decided to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, soon thereafter, we naturally start getting more and more into the scriptures. That's how it's supposed to be anyway. And soon we'll start reading things in our Bibles that let's just be honest. Some of them on surface just seems like plain, weird instructions. Some of the things that God tells us, we doesn't seem to have a clear point to it. And even more so when we talk about some of the instructions within the front of our Bibles, especially in books like the book of Leviticus, where God details how sacrifices were to be done within the Levitical priesthood. And we see these precept, precepts upon precepts of instructions. And we have to ask ourselves the question of why was God so um, so why did he deem it so important to go into such a great detail with these things? You see, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you something that you need to remember today. That is so important. And that is that God's instructions, whether that's the front all the way to the back of the book, when he ever comes to tell us to do something physically, Right? Whether that is to keep the fourth commandment to rest on his Sabbath or whether, you know, that is to go and keep a feast that he has set apart for us or or whatever it really is. While the physical commandments that he literally gave us are super important for us to keep and be obedient to what is even more important oftentimes is for us to understand the spiritual lessons attached to the commandment that we do in the physical. For example, the feast days of God is is a prime example of this. You know, you can go ahead and keep the counting of the Omer. That is where God instructs us to count 50 days after Passover until we reach Pentecost, also known as Shavuot. And every day we need to count uh, like like uh, consciously, like today is day one, tomorrow is day two, the day thereafter is day three. And we're counting down these days until we reach Pentecost. And it's reminiscent of how the disciples, when what did Jesus say after as he was leaving, he told them, wait, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. He's basically telling them to count down to this event, because by that time when he was telling them to wait, they already knew about the feasts that God has given us in his instructions. They already knew that Shavuot is coming up soon. So there was a a physical attachment between this idea of the Holy Spirit being poured out and this old feast that God has given thousands of years before. And so now we see that there's this Okay, this instruction, you count down. But but what is this spiritual meaning? You can go and you can count every day and you can keep this instruction perfectly well. And that's that's amazing. We ought to. But why would we count down while not understanding what it's about? Why would we count down while not yearning every day as we count for more and more of his spirit? 
Because that's what we're counting down to is that it was it's a reminder of this counting down to this moment that we had back after just after he left when God Acts 2 happened and the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now, how can we keep a feast of counting down but forget about that? Then we 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 miss much of the point. How can we keep the feast of trumpets, for example? And we go and we, you know, we blow a trumpet on the day when the feast of trumpets arrives. And that's beautiful. Glory to God, do it. But what does it help that you do that, but you don't remember while you're doing it, while you don't think on while you're doing it about what it's all about? And that is his coming when he will come back with the blowing of trumpets. What does it help you blow a trumpet, but you don't repent in that time to prepare yourself for the day that he really does come back and that trumpet really does blow? What does it help that we Keep Passover, a, a, a beautiful cider meal, all, all these elements. Oh, how beautiful it is and glory to God. Do it. But what does it help that you do it? But you don't remember his body and blood as he told us to when he kept it. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to remind ourselves. We need to remember that God's instructions are fulfilled by our Messiah. When Yeshua Jesus came in, in the flesh. He said he came to in Matthew 5, 17, came to fulfill. That is complete. That is bring more meaning to the law of God. So therefore, we need to as new covenant believers, those with the revelation of the Messiah need to. We can't keep things the way that our ancestors used to, how the Israelites used to before they knew of Messiah and before he came. We have to keep these things with a renewed mindset that is more um, in tune with his spirit and what the fullness of the spiritual meanings are of each of these feasts. Because back then they didn't yet. But now after he has come, we have a greater understanding. And so now we have to earnestly yearn and ask ourselves, why am I doing what I do? What is the spiritual meanings of what I am doing? Because what does it help that you sit at the Passover table, but your heart is wicked like Judas? Judas kept the Passover physically, but he never did so spiritually. And you can keep a physical observance and it's beautiful. It truly is. But if you don't do the uh, cleaning up of your heart while you're doing so, which is the oftentimes the point of the feast, then you might as well not keep it. Because God kept gave us his instructions, all of his instructions, not to only be kept physically by religious works, but also for them to inspire a renewing of our hearts and minds and to give us uh, a revelation by his Holy Spirit on how we can become more like our Messiah. And so one prime example of a place where we truly need to extract the spiritual meanings from these physical instructions is the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is one that has often been seen as boring, irrelevant, uh, you know, and people rarely even really dig into and read it, especially within the church. But I want to submit to you that this is a grave error because some of the deepest revelations of our father is is can be found in the most boring books. And that is the ones that are oftentimes seen as being 
um, inapplicable, which it's not true because we're going to soon find out that the book of Leviticus is incredibly applicable to our lives, very relevant, contrary to what many people think. So let's just dive in Leviticus 22, verse three. For example, we read here. This is God speaking and he says, say to them, if any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. Okay, God is here saying, look, if, if there is an offering being made, if there's a sacrifice being made and anyone approaches it, anyone comes near it and he's part of Israel, he's part of my people, but he has uncleanness. Then that person will be cut off from me. That's pretty harsh. That person will be not have access. He will be outside of my presence. I will not hear his voice. You know, when if someone is close to you, you hear their voice. If someone is 10 kilometers away, you struggle to hear their voice. And so in the same way we can, we see this instruction. God, he says, if there is uncleanness, if my sacrifice is defiled, I take it incredibly seriously. And, and God actually goes and he, he tells us a few examples in the scriptures there. He says, he talks about, you know, someone who has a leprous disease. He talks about if um, someone who touches something that is unclean, if, you know, all these examples of things that are basically connected to disease or death or anything like that. If there's someone who has these things and they come and they touch what is so holy to the Lord uh, in terms of these sacrifices, then they would be cut off. Now, let's read on. He says in verse nine, they shall therefore keep my charge lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. You see, brothers and sisters, he's actually now he's going even more and he's saying, look, if, if you profane it, you may even die. So I, I guess it's safe to say that God takes the clean and uncleanness when it comes to a sacrifice very seriously. Now, but what is a sacrifice? Sacrifice simply means it's something that you give up. I can give I can give a sacrifice. I can give something up to the Lord. And this is really what it refers to. And so Lord, the God says that if something has been given up, he considers that holy. And he even says that he makes it holy. He's the one who sanctifies it. Okay, so bear with me. Let's read one more verse here and then we're going to see what this is all about. Verse 10, he then says a lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. Okay, so now we've discovered a few things about what God thinks and tells us about a sacrifice. He says it has to be clean. That is, the sacrifice has to be um, in of itself of a clean nature, because if I give something up that is dirty, that has sin, that has evil on it. If I give something up that is not even a proper something worth giving up, 
That is a proper sacrifice because secondly, a sacrifice needs to cost us something. And he also thoroughly tells us that not anyone can just partake in this sacrifice. And more specifically, what we just read was in relation to the priests and how when and within the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, the priests themselves might eat of the sacrifices because that is their food, basically. And those within their house might eat of it, but people from outside their house, in essence, may not eat of it. So we have a restriction basically placed upon who can partake in this sacrifice. And now you may look at me and think like, Petey, like, why are you telling us about sacrifices, Levitical sacrifices? Don't you know that those things are abolished and we don't need to do any sacrifices anymore? And I'll tell you, are you sure you're not supposed to do sacrifices anymore? How sure are you of that? What if I told you that we are supposed to make sacrifices? And yes, they're going to look a little different, but scripture commands us to make sacrifices because we have become part of a new priesthood. We have become part of this new line in essence, where we have a high priest that is Jesus himself, Yeshua. Because everything that God gave Moses with pertaining to the Levitical priesthood, whether it's the tabernacle, the sacrifices, all these things was a shadow of what is in the heavenly realm with our high priest who made a sacrifice for us. We read this in Hebrews 8 verse 5. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 also tells us that we have become part of a royal priesthood. And we also read in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So now I hope you are seeing where I'm getting at with this. We are instructed to offer spiritual sacrifices. Because like I mentioned, a lot of the physical things God told his people to do have a much deeper spiritual meaning. And this is no different. Our bodies are to be presented as a living sacrifice. And so now when we apply some of what God told us in Leviticus to this sacrifice we have, we learn that it, number one, has to be, like we mentioned, clean. It has to be one undefiled. It has to be a sacrifice worthy of being a sacrifice. But now here's the beautiful thing. You might think, oh, no, I'm not clean. I'm, I'm dirty. I, how can I present my body as a sacrifice? I, I have made mistakes. I have sinned before. My body, my sacrifice is already defiled. But Messiah 
came to open that door. You see, this is why Leviticus is now teaching us why Messiah had to come. Because your body can only become that living sacrifice if it has been sanctified by God, made clean by God. And the only way that can happen is by the blood of the Messiah, by him dying for your sins so that your sins are removed from your midst as far as the east is from the west, like he says in the scriptures, to make us white as snow. And now our bodies can be offered as a worthy, acceptable sacrifice to our father. And so now while we have been made clean by his blood, by his sacrifice, by what he did for us, now we are to remain clean. Now we are to continue ensuring that the sacrifice does not become defiled. Because see, the sacrifices, the Levitical sacrifices were made clean by God too, symbolically, but then they could be defiled by people who had, like we read earlier, uncleanness on them. So if someone who was unclean came to touch these offerings or, you know, what, or even partake in them and this person not allowed to or they're unclean or whatever, that defiles the offering. And so in the same way, we have to make sure that while we understand we are clean, made clean by his blood, we do not defile it and we do not allow others to defile this offering that God has now allowed us to have, that God has now sanctified for us. And then secondly, this sacrifice that we are to present ourselves as supposed to be a sacrifice. It's supposed to be something we give up. You see, if if you're going to follow Jesus, but it doesn't cost you anything, you're not following him. Because what was the call? When Yeshua came to Peter and the disciples and they were in the boat, what did he tell them? Follow me. Right. As with all his disciples, he told them to follow him. And what did they do? The scriptures say that they leaped out of their boats or they lay, they stood up and left everything as it was right there. And they followed him. They made a sacrifice. They made their bodies a living sacrifice. Because if you took everything with you into this covenant with God, if if if, you sh- if Jesus called you and you're like, yes, I'll follow you, but I want to take everything with me, everything I have, all my old things, all my junk I want to bring in. You're not making a sacrifice. You're not a living sacrifice. You can say you're following him, but you're truly not because you haven't picked up your cross. Just like that man who was on the road when uh, Messiah was on the road to being crucified and he couldn't carry his cross anymore. There was this random man and he was just told to carry this cross, pick up this cross and carry it. He made a sacrifice. He gave something up and he had to carry this cross because I bet you that if you have a massive bag of stuff on your back, you're going to need to put that down to carry this cross. And so that's why it's important. We need to ask ourselves the question, are we making a sacrifice? Are we a living sacrifice? And so that brings us to our number three point of what we can subtract from these Levitical sacrifices. 
Do you remember how we talked about how not just anyone could partake in the sacrifice? We talked about how it was only the priest and those of his household that could partake in it and no one else could. This is also very relevant to our sacrifice. Just as a reminder, it said in Leviticus 22 verse 10, a lay person shall not eat of a holy thing, not a lay person, no foreign guest of the priest or hired worker. Okay, so like we mentioned, there's this restriction of who can partake in this sacrifice. Now, if we think about some of the things our Messiah said, what did Yeshua, Jesus Christ, what did he say regarding being careful on who partakes? I want to remind you of Matthew 7 verse 6. Give not that which is holy to the dogs. Not it cost you your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. You see, he's giving something so profound here. And he's building upon what has been given in Leviticus, what we just read here. Don't take what is holy, what God said, this is a sacrifice that is holy, that this is set apart. Do not let anyone who is unclean come and defile this. Do not let anyone just come and don't cast your pearls before swine, he said. Because they will abuse it. They will not take it, see it for what it is. They will throw it aside. They will trample it underfoot. They will not value it. You see, anyone who comes to defile a sacrifice or an offering or anything that is holy does not have respect for what is holy. And so when we talk about what is holy in regards to uh, the elements of the new covenant, we can see that, of course, we have been made holy. We have been made sanctified. We have been made set apart, like we mentioned. And so we can't let anyone just partake in what we now have. And of course, we can take this all kinds of ways and we could speak for hours about this idea pertaining to even, you know, um, sex before marriage, how we are to keep ourselves holy. Not anyone can just partake in what is supposed to be sanctified, right? We can talk about uh, how we have value, right? And then we can also talk about other things that are a sacrifice and most importantly, probably the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that ever really mattered. The one that Armasad did himself. What is more holy? I mean, there are few things more holy than the gospel itself. And then the fact that he came to die for our sins and we now have good news and that we can be made clean. The whole, that whole message is holy. You can all start talking, thinking about this in terms of how do we then protect the holiness of the gospel? And I think this is an incredibly important topic. It's basically what our Messiah referenced, I believe, when he talked about don't cost what is holy to the dogs. Because you can go and share the gospel, that holy thing with people. And we are commanded to do so. We are instructed to go into the world and proclaim the gospel. Now, it's interesting because the world can oftentimes be thought of as being evil. 
And, you know, of course, we why would we present the gospel to people who are pure and who don't need a doctor? No, we are going to present it to people who are evil because all of us are evil without Messiah. However, it's about presenting it to someone qualified to partake in it. Now, who's qualified to partake in the gospel? Well, a person of peace is. That is, brothers and sisters, and this, we can even just take this practical, make this very practical. If you've ever done evangelism, one of the number one lessons to learn is that you ought to present it to a person of peace and not to a hard hearted person. Um, or at least let me say you ought not to spend too much time wasting it on a hard hearted person. Because you will often find when you are out doing evangelism that there are people who are open, that you can see like their hearts have been prepared for that encounter. You can see the Holy Spirit is drawing them because remember what the scriptures say. No one comes unless he's drawn by the father. No one comes to the son. No one comes to God unless he's drawn. And so we need to find out who is being drawn. Because those are the people with open eyes, open ears, open hearts who can partake in the sacrifice, who are qualified, who are able to consume it. Because if you and I have I have seen this, I have come and seen people who are open and who want it. And I have then gone out and and spent time with people. And sometimes I've spent more time than I should have on people talking with them for hours and they want nothing to do with it. And I'm not saying that, you know, brothers and sisters, this is not something to be legalistic about. And I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying that we aren't supposed to offer the gospel wherever God leads, including to people who may look hard hearted because we ought to. However, we ought not to cast our pearls before swine. And that is someone who is spitting in your face, who doesn't want anything to do with this, who, who hates what you're saying. We, we have an opportunity to present it, but then we go to where it's wanted. Remember how Paul went ahead and he presented the gospel in areas. Sometimes he was accepted. Other times he was rejected. Same with Messiah. Sometimes the disciples and they were accepted and other times they were rejected. And in, in the book of Luke, we are commanded to do what Luke 10 is shake the dust off your feet when you are rejected. Okay, why? He's saying that because he doesn't want you to go ahead and just cast this holy sacrifice before swine. We can even see this further extended on how Yeshua did not beg people to follow him. It's interesting how often today in the church, sometimes at least, we see that how how we, we, we mold the experience of a church. To become easy on the ears and eyes of the world. And we make it so that the world can enjoy it. We make it very worldly. You put everything in it that's in the world so that the world feels attracted to it. And then by the end of it, though, it looks nothing like anything that's holy, but it's become something that's unholy, something that's not set apart. Right. And in that we call this a, a seeker friendly church today. Instead of saying, you know what, we're not going to cater in that way. We're not going to go and compromise 
for the sake of getting people in because that's like begging people to follow Jesus. But Jesus never did that. One of the main things we need to remember, brothers and sisters, is he never begged anyone to follow him. He said to told the rich man, we said, what should I do? Go and sell everything you have because that was what is his sacrifice to give. But he didn't want to and then he couldn't follow him. Or, you know, when he, he, he told the man, come and follow me. And he said, I had to go bury my dad. He said, well, then you can't. Because that's your sacrifice to give, but you're not giving it. You see, brothers and sisters, so Yeshua didn't come and beg people to follow him. He came to tell them, follow me. Do it. And he wants them to. He, he desires them with the deepest desires of his heart to. But he knows that if he begs them to, and if he twists their arm into doing so, they won't last. They won't stay. It'll be a waste of time discipling them because they're not going to stick around when things get hard. If they're not able to give things up from the first day. And in the same way, go ahead, proclaim the gospel, but don't compromise the gospel for the sake of twisting someone's arm into it. Let those who have ears hear and eyes, let them see. And furthermore, we also don't cast our pearls before swine in terms of wasting too much time on things like false prophets and other distractions. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't address issues that false prophets can stir up. Of course, Messiah came and he oftentimes addressed the words and teachings and doctrines of false prophets. We could argue that some of the certain Pharisees he came up against were in essence false prophets with their own erroneous teachings. And Messiah did address those teachings very oftentimes. He even rebuked them before all these false prophets. But then thereafter, after he made it clear what he is teaching, he left them alone and he even told his disciples to then after that leave them alone. Matthew 15, verse 14, let them alone. There are blind guides. And if the blind leads to blind, both will fall into a pit. So while he did point out the false doctrines, he did not make it his life mission now to try and discredit them. Because that would be a waste of your life. If that's your life mission, if that's your ministry, that's not what he told us to do. He told us to leave them alone. And yeah, show if there's doctrinal errors, but leave them alone because there's more important things to attend to because they are leading the blind. We lead those who see that's where we are called to because those who are blind would have been blind, whether those false prophets were around or not. And so another way, the last way that I want to talk about of how we could throw our pearls before swine in essence is by getting distracted. You see, if we get distracted from by things and it pulls us away from the important thing, and that is this holy thing we've been talking about, and that is the sacrifice, the gospel, what Messiah did for us, him dying for us. If we get distracted away from that, and I'm talking about you don't go and proclaim the gospel. You don't do it in the way that the father has 
call you personally to do it, but instead you get distracted by all kinds of other things. And this can be anything. It can be watching YouTube all day. It can be playing video games all day. It can be doing whatever, even good things, but those good things become evil when they start distracting us from what is holy. Because now we throw what has been entrusted to us to the dogs, these pearls, these treasures, the gospel, we throw it to the dogs because we are basically not using it for what it was given and entrusted to us for. So we are wasting it. We're throwing it away. For example, Luke 10, verse three, we read, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals and greet no one on the road and remain in the same house. Verse seven, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. It's amazing what he's teaching her. He says, do not greet anyone on the road. <laughs> and when we read it, it can be like, what does he mean? Why are we allowed to greet people on the road? But he's simply saying this because he's trying to teach us that we ought to be focused. It's not about you're never allowed to greet anyone. It's about you need to be so focused on that house, those that place, those people that the father's called you to that you don't get distracted by any random thing on the road. And then he also tells us even to don't move from house to house when you get to that house you're called to, but stay in it. You see, he wants us to be so focused, brothers and sisters. And I want to ask you today, what is the house that you're called to? Who, who are the people that you personally have been called to? Because we have been called to different places, depending on your calling, of course, like Peter and Paul and John, they were, they had different people, groups and places they were called to. Who are you called to? And are you like, like a hawk? focused on those people on that house or do you are you moving from house to house never having time to sit down and make disciples are you or are you being distracted by random people along the road and you never get to that house or you get to that house or you may get to that house one day but it'll be so late that you've wasted all because you wasted all this time you see brothers and sisters there is a clear teaching about against distractions that our Messiah is giving us here and it, it very much connects back to Leviticus, because we can make something unclean. We can make this living sacrifice of ours unclean when we just pour all kinds of other distractions into it. But and then it's no longer a sacrifice because we then only um, give our bodies, our flesh, what it wants. And we are not actually taking away what it wants, making a sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God. Do you understand how this all connects now? It's so deep and great, wonderful, beautiful, but you need to be willing to make that sacrifice. Because if you're just going to run after your knowledge or your other whatever distractions at the cost of the important things, then is your sacrifice truly clean, given over to the Father? Is it truly a sacrifice that is a sacrifice? Because we can do all kinds of good things, but if it's not doing what God said, it doesn't matter. If you, you can do all kinds of stuff, it can be good things. But if you don't do what God said, it doesn't matter. Ask 
um, the guys who gave strange fire to God. Did they do something good in their own eyes? Sure, I'm sure they did. But it was not how God asked. And so, brothers, furthermore, we need to ask the question, now what is this gospel we ought to proclaim? What is this message we ought to bring? And this message is entrenched in Leviticus 2. Leviticus 22, verse 9. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So see, this message, this idea that it is God who sanctifies us, like I mentioned earlier in this teaching, is so important because it is the gospel message. The good news is, the gospel is, that you are bad. You are horrible. You have sin. You can't save yourself by your own works. But there is hope that he has come to die for us. He has come to do it where we couldn't. Taken our sin upon him to make us sanctified. This is the message. You can't sanctify yourself. He's the one who sanctifies you. This is the gospel message. We are saved by grace through faith in Messiah. And so brothers and sisters, it's amazing because all these elements of the Levitical sacrifices teaches us all about the gospel in greater, deeper ways than you might have heard before. And the ultimate main point of it all is given us in, to us in Leviticus 22, verse 20. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable to you. Run your race with all that you have. Make your living sacrifice worthy to be called a sacrifice. Make it acceptable to the Lord, a sweet swelling aroma unto him. Offer spiritual sacrifices, not just one, not just on that day that you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, but continuously throughout your life. Because that is what is pleasing to our father. That is those are the people that he is coming back for. Those who came and make made the sacrifice that he made on his side or that God made on his side for us. We ought to make that sacrifice our own. We ought to make that good news our own. We ought to. Now go and follow his, his example by making a sacrifice of our own to live for him. So, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you the question. As we think of on these things, what sacrifices are you making in your life? What if what are you giving up? What spiritual offerings are you giving and or what can you give to the father? I want you to to just take a moment and and think about it. What can I give to the father in which way? And and look, this is not about I'm not this is not necessarily a financial thing, right? I'm talking about a much bigger thing than that. Okay, I'm talking about how can you give up parts of your life to make more room for his kingdom? What is there in your life that is getting in the way of his kingdom? What is there in your life that is distracting you from his kingdom? What is there in your life that is keeping you back from walking out his kingdom matters? Think on these things, because these things are so important for us to continuously audit ourselves in. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. Thank you for your beautiful book of Leviticus. 
and instructions that you have given us in your Torah and throughout your New Testament and everywhere. Genesis Revelation. Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us to make a sacrifice. Help us to be a sacrifice. Help us to remember the sacrifice that you have made for us. And help us to not toss these things before swine to be trampled under. But Father, help us to proclaim these things in a way that people will open their eyes to it, have their eyes open to it and want it. Lord, I thank you, Father, for your freedom to follow us wherever we go, your authority to follow us wherever we go, that when we walk into a room, that the demons will tremble. Father, I thank you that in our comings and goings, there will be power on our lives because your Holy Spirit has been given unto us for a time like this. And I thank you for the counting of the Omer and Shavuot coming up in the name of Yeshua. Thank you.